Talk Recorded live. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can run and tell your friends that I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Let's believe I understand. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can run and tell my city I'm on. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Virtual Talk Show Produced by Married Men Don't Talk The talk show with a top-selling book and an app for your Android smartphones We come your way every Tuesday night from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time But you can get more info about this show by visiting our website, householdstress.com Listeners can participate in one of our live weekly talk shows by calling in or logging on to householdstress.com from your personal computer as an anonymous guest. Phone lines are open right now, but this show is strictly for men only, so call into the hottest talk show in America. Now, we have a couple of rules, and they are absolutely no profanity and no politics, and more importantly, no racial stuff. This show is apolitical and race neutral so that we can make sure that any man can feel comfortable on our show. And furthermore, fellas, this ain't Bible study. We just want you to just be able to come to our show as a man, and that is it. This virtual talk show always presents the hottest topics for discussion, and tonight is no different. Tonight's topic is marriage interrupted. Mm. My name is Rodney, and I'll be your pilot and a ventriloquist for the evening, but more on that later. I've got a lot of material, and the hope is that I can get this plane off the ground and ultimately land on a safe conclusion. This is a fluid conversation, so if you do have something to say, please feel free to do so, or if you just prefer to listen, that's absolutely fine as well. But please try to hang on until the end, because you'll definitely want to hear the conclusion to this episode. All right, with all of that said, let's get started. I don't have a story to open this thing up, but I just wanted to uh, talk about, with the topic, wh- what is an interruption? That's the first question of the night. What is an interruption? How would you define an interruption? thing that, uh, that wasn't the status quo. Okay. And that kind of throws things off track. Hmm? And that can be anything. That can be, you know, health. You know, emotional, uh, family, financial, all kind of different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in, generally speaking, not necessarily to uh, relationships, w- what is an imper- interruption? When uh, I say when... Like when you talk over somebody like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm messing with your P-Town, but mm-hmm. how, how does it make you feel when somebody interrupts you? How does it make you feel when somebody interrupts you? I think it's disrespectful. When someone interrupts someone else, does that send a subtle message that their opinion doesn't matter, do you think? That and that they're really not listening. They're hearing you, but they're not listening. Yeah, because we are so eager and in a hurry to get our point across, it's difficult 
to slow down and not interrupt the other person just like I did you. And interrupting can be a bad habit, and it automatically shuts down the lines of communication, as Andrew was alluding to. Now, I would admit, fellas, that I'm an interrupter that doesn't listen well. I'm a talker. And generally speaking, talkers aren't the greatest listeners because we like to hear ourselves talk. But who would you say, generally speaking, is more of an interrupter, men or women? Women, come on, man. Give me some more. (laughs) Do we have consensus, fellas? Who is more of an interrupter, men or women? Do y'all agree with me, brother? Women? Women until a man gets pissed off. She, she riding it with a man do to counteract a woman's interruption is stop listening. Mm-hmm. That is our tool. They interrupt, we just stop listening. Mm-hmm. It takes nothing for us to take our mind to another place, and we ain't even there no more. <laughs> right. Anybody else? Are women more of an interrupter than men? Would y'all agree or disagree with that? I think uh, women talk a lot, so we tend to interrupt them. Mm-hmm. Good words, good words. But when women, do, you, do y'all think they're actually good intentions behind them interrupting, even though it sends the wrong message? Do y'all think they have good intentions when they when they interrupt? No, not all the time. I mean, it depends. It depends. On the conversation, you know, you know, women, you know, if, if if your woman is the type of woman that love to be right, then yeah, you know, she she's going for the victory in the conversation, you know. But if you're really talking about something and you're trying to get her input on a decision, then you know, there's, there's a time when you welcome her interruption when you're trying to make a joint decision on something. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I I, I kind of you know I'm like you, Rodney. I'm I'm a talker. And it's I have to practice not interrupting. Mm. And it's not easy sometimes. Yeah, it's tough. Definitely tough. And bringing it back to topic of the evening, marriage interrupted. I want to talk briefly about how you know can. Can having a baby um, interrupt your marriage? (laughs) Some of y'all know, and some of y'all may not know, but my wife is eight and a half months pregnant with our third child. So, other than the mood swings, the cravings, (laughs) tired all the time, we're not even, you know... I only got, you know, two or three weeks left to go, but you know, we, we're not even going to talk about the sex life but, or, or lack thereof. But can having a baby, you know, I know some of y'all are old. I know this is far removed, you know, from which y'all, are, <laughs> which y'all can remember, but how can having a baby interrupt your marriage? It's the best birth control there ever is. <laughs> Why you say that, P. Tim? Because those uh, listen, when the baby's born, 
uh, between zero and maybe four years old, they're in the room with you all the time. If they scrum, they move, somebody's jumping. And sometimes they in between you and mommy uh, in the bed where, you know, you're like, hey, can we put the baby in the in the baby carriage for a few? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, I've been far removed from babies. We had our <laughs> grandson this weekend. It's three months old. Man. <laughs> They're crying to getting up three o'clock in the morning. Good lord! That sucker was screaming. I was like, "Oh, you gotta be kidding!" I was like, "No, this ain't for me." So what about those? You, you forget quickly. That's right. You so, forget so. how selfish babies are. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Andrew, would you say that your grandson interrupted your marriage a little bit? He was blocking. <laughs> Can anybody else relate to this? You know, I don't know if you have a, a a baby or maybe a toddler or I got a nineteen year old blocking me, so <laughs> how is that man? You could just send him to give him a video game or something. Give him the the iPod or just say, Go ahead downstairs, brother. I like him to work. I, I like I did wait 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 till yours get older. I like that. <laughs> so that doesn't work? No, that don't work. Huh? No, that doesn't work. Why? Why not? What do you mean why? What what'd you do? Tell him to leave or something? Yeah, just tell him to go outside and run around the block or something. Shoot some hoops. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how that works. <laughs> yeah, I got time. I got about 10 more years for my oldest gets up there. Anybody else? I think I uh, it, it depends on the age of the kids. You know, oh, this is Drew. Evan. How you doing? Hey, what's up, brother? Welcome, welcome. Uh, I think that uh, you know, I got three girls, right? The five, and uh, the middle child turns four this next month, and then the baby turns one next month. So as far as uh, them being an interruption, at, at this is me speaking on, you know, my experience. I think it brings me and my wife closer because, you know, we, we each put in our own fair share in raising them, changing diapers and doing all that good stuff. Um, so I think it, it depends on the age. Now, I can't speak on how they'll be once they're 19, 18, <laughs> you know, 17 because we're, we're, you know, here now and we're far from that. But um, I don't think it's an interruption for now. Um, I don't know. You know, when my youngest was first born, my wife was up all night, so she was kind of grouchy when I get home from work. Um, so, from a sex perspective, I mean, kind of neutral. I don't know yet. I guess I can answer you in five years once they're like my oldest is ten years old. But right now, you know, you give them the iPad and you give them whatever, and they'll sit down and stay quiet. But the baby, she needs, you know, undivided attention, so that takes away time between me and the wife, so, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, that's good words. Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. interesting you say that because, you know, you say you got girls five, four, and one. That yeah. that, that has definitely brought you and your wife close because y'all be getting it in. I mean, that's <laughs> five, four, and one. It's like popping them out. Y'all might have another one behind, number four. Well, you know, when we got married, you know, we were, we were like three by 30. 
that was our goal, and we had, we, we met that goal. So uh, as far as if we're done, I can't really speak to that. You know, every time we every every time they ask us, you know, there's a hesitant hesitancy in, in answering them. So when there's hesitance, and you know, it's not a flat out, oh no, we're done. No, it's not like that. So if you're trying to raise, then I can go for that fourth, and I'll be up once. <laughs> yeah, you got to try for that boy. I'm trying, man, but, you know, boy or girl, Tom's is healthy, but as of right now, you know, we still we still do our thing and we still, still being parents, taking care of them. So as of right now, I don't think they're an interruption. That might change years from now. Let's see. Yeah, good word. Yeah, because I got, I'm, I'm working on number three. Yeah, and, uh, congratulations. Yeah, know. thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. And uh, we're about to be outnumbered, so I don't know how that is, you know. Yeah, and you, don't, you, didn't, you didn't find out what it was, did you? No, no, don't know. Um, what, do you have, what do you have now? You have two girls? Two, two girls? girls, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll probably have, be like you and have another girl. Yes, sir, you don't have a girl. <laughs> that means you got to keep going. You don't have a big family. That means you got to keep going. No. No, this is this is it. You know, I'm like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, I can't, no, I can't go through this anymore because, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm not, and, and like I say, we, I'm on. She ain't even had the baby yet, and we, you know, it's been an interruption, you know, and you try to rub up on, and then you know, the, oh, the, the baby just kicked. It's like, oh, come on, come on, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> not now, you know. Hopefully the baby. You know, I don't know, man. It's, it's it, it kind of it's kind of it, it wears me out, you know. It, no, so but even still, after the baby gets here, like Andrew said, it's you know it's gonna be crying all night and gonna need mm-hmm. undivided attention and mm-hmm. you know nursing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. So I'm, I'm I, I, my marriage has been interrupted, but it's not done yet. Um. You know, so it's it's going to be a challenge. Um, but I, I hope I'm up for it. But you ain't have uh, no choice. God ain't gonna give you nothing you can't handle. So you good. Yeah, true exactly, true exactly. But I told uh, brother Ike earlier. I was like, man, I might have to after this one tonight. I give y'all a. I have to take a little leave of absence because <laughs> I'm gonna be going through it. Um, but I want to talk about um. The ultimate marriage interrupter, which is divorce. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's kind of early, but um, and I want to try to tie this thing together with you know having a baby or having a child. And an example that I that I have is um, after adopting a son, Angelina Jolie filed for divorce from Billy Bob Thornton, and this was back in July of 2002. And it was just two months after their second wedding anniversary, she filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. And for Angelina, it was her second divorce. For Billy Bob, it was his fifth. And three of his prior marriages lasted just two years, just like this one did. So they tried to put on a good show initially, you know, trotting out the photos of of Angelina and, and their new infant adopted son, Maddox. Um, but obviously y'all know what the story ended up. And so talking about divorce, the ultimate 
interruption in marriage. What do y'all think about this story, though? You know, how the the adoption, you know, came in and then could that have been the reason for the divorce or do you think it was some other factors there that was, you know, that that, that was not conducive to their relationship? What do y'all think about this story? I, I think when you chasing some tail. Say what? I thought he was chasing some tail. He he might have been. That's the way, that was the breakdown I heard. Pulling a Tiger Woods. Yeah, he might have been. Somebody else was saying something? Yeah, I just think that when you deal with people that have had multiple divorces, mm-hmm. like he has, he just probably doesn't understand. I mean, marriage to him is just an extended form of dating with no mm-hmm. commitment. Um, so it may not have had anything to do with the adopted child. It's just their commitment, their perception of what marriage really is, I think, was the issue. Good words. Yeah, because three of his prior marriages out of his five, I mean, they all just lasted a couple years. Yeah. So, I mean, he was pretty much after after a couple years, he's like on to the next. You know, like the brother yeah, said, but it becomes there. a habit. Like, like Tom said, it becomes a habit. I mean, if you the first sign of trouble, you out. It's, you know, it's I easy to say, I don't want to be with you. I don't, I don't feel like working it out. I think it comes down to exactly what Tony said, where you know, people think that that um, that warm, fuzzy feeling is love and that infatuation stage, and when they get down to, you know, past that two-year mark and, it's, and, and, it, and it falls into real love and what real marriage is, they look for that warm, fuzzy feeling because they feel like, well, I must have fell out of love. Mm-hmm. Good words. It is good words. Anybody else? Any comment on this? Angelina Jolie. But what about, I know some of y'all can relate to this, what about when the kids finally move out? Now, we talked about the babies and the toddlers and, you know, the little kids and all that stuff, but what about when the kids finally move out? Can the empty nest syndrome, can, can that interrupt marriages? Yeah. Yep. Yep. How so? Um. I don't know. I just. I think it's because they're they're used to uh, they've been used to you know eighteen years or whatever twenty five years of kids being at home and the kids. It's like wow. What do we do now? You know. Mm-hmm. Almost retired, well, you and I are far from that, but I guess I can just, I don't know, not there yet, but uh, I think, <laughs> based off, we're not there yet, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, know. We can, listen, we... let me listen now, because it's loud in my house, let me get on mute, just put it on mute till you're ready, bro, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But there are some other brothers on here that your kids have moved out. You can't relate to that. Well, my last one's about to leave. Your last child? Yep. So do you think that's going to have any interruption in, in you and your wife's relationship, or are y'all pretty much prepared for that? 
Well, you know, uh, you prepare, but you don't know till everything hits. You know what I mean? And um, but we have a life besides our children. Mm. And, and you know, we've we've you know since we got married, we we had a, a life with the children. You know, and we had a life without. So our life didn't revolve around them. And I think people, you know, I see these people that that their whole life revolves around their children and they're in 20 different activities and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden the kids are gone. They don't know each other. (laughs) What about after you've raised your kids, they're out of the house. But you get that phone call. They messed up big time. Has anybody ever experienced that? Well, the phone messed up big time. I mean, you mean like I, they got to come back home? Yeah, anything, anything. I mean, you get that that call and they they've made a bad decision. I don't know if anybody has experienced that, where it's like, Dad, um, and you raise them again, they're gone. You know, they're on their own. You know, in college or whatever, they're doing their own thing, and then they, like, Dad, I messed up. And and they might need to come back home. I don't know. Well, I've gotten a 3 o'clock in the morning phone call, you know, in tears, and got to come over at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and, 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 and talk to you and tell you how terrible things are. So I've been in that situation. That's an interruption. <laughs> right. That's a block. That's a block. Especially when they bring their kids in tow. Wow. So the kids, everybody came to your house? Oh, yeah. At 3 in the morning? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Wow. You know, it doesn't end when they leave. Mm. You know, matter of fact, that's when it really hits a lot of times because then they really realize, geez, what you were telling me was right and I didn't listen and I should have listened to you. Good words. Anybody else? Kids are gone. You know, you and the wife are chilling, and then phone rings. It's like, Dad, need to talk to you. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I'm glad that only one. You haven't got that got that call yet, I guess. You know, as and I won't get the call not not for many years, hopefully. Um, I'm in I'm in the same boat with you, Rod. We still got time. But um I wanna switch gears just a little bit. Um and has anybody's job caused your mar- your marriage to become interrupted? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How so, brother? One hundred percent. Man, she has a bad day at work. <laughs> She bring that stuff home, huh? Yeah, and before you know it, you know, you thinking you're going to, you know, do what you got to do, and then all of a sudden you're talking about work. And then don't don't be that type that's not understanding or not really paying attention. Yeah, you got to listen. Oh, oh, yeah, you can forget it then. And, you know, like if you play your hand too early, she like, you know, I'm trying to talk about work, and you started trying to, you know. Mm-hmm. Do your thing, and then, you know, it, it, it takes an ugly turn then at that point. Yeah, because mostly men, they try to keep it at the door. You know, they work right outside the door if you can. Mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe bring up the good parts at, at the uh, dining room table just so you can have conversation. How was your day? How was your day? Yeah. But you, you want to kind of leave drama outside the house. Because one thing you don't want to bring is your work inside the house, and then all of a sudden now the house just feels cold because you mad because the people at work, and they messing with you. Because there was one job my wife had that was like that. She would just come home irritable all the time, all day and night. And and then it seems like you getting the burden, you know, the burden of her anger from work. It was like, you got to leave that job because you can't be bringing this in the house. You know, I think it's good to have a time um, after you leave work and before you get home to decompress. Yeah. You know, um, because if you don't have that time, it's got to go somewhere. And, you know, the crazy part is funny that you say that, but also <clears throat> vice versa. You can't let home interfere with work. You got that right. That's going to mess your money up. Try, try going through a divorce and keeping that separate. Oh, oh that's that's the worst. Got that's that. the worst. Because everybody knows. <laughs> At the everybody job, knows. Wrong. Everybody knows something wrong. Well, P-Town, what about your your job? How, how did your job, I said something earlier, but how, how has your job caused your marriage to become interrupted? Well, now I'm on travel. I'm away from the home. And, um, I mean, as like today, uh, you know, my wife went to the conference. I usually go to my son's conference or my daughter's conference when we it's time for a parent-teacher meeting. Mm-hmm. And the first thing the teacher says, is everything okay at home? Where's Mr. Eckert? Oh, wow. I never see you here. And um, to the point where she thought that we had separated or left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, because my son's grades went down a little bit. But we know kind of, everybody kind of knows why it went down because his grandmother passed away. Right. And, it's, you know, and then I left the home. But, and, and that's what the teacher said. She said, you know what? We saw so much of seeing Mr. Eckert that maybe, you know, you know, my son is missing something and is affecting his work because I'm not at the house. And then with my wife working the hours, now she takes full responsibilities during the week where we had shared responsibility, you know, when it comes with food, eating, getting the kids together for, the you know, the next day. All that home burden is on her because I'm, I'm away from home. Hey, I got a question. At what point do you stand back and re-examine and see if that decision is worth it? What point? Yep. When everything goes down, you know, when you start seeing stuff going down south. The reason I ask you that is, um, you know, I own my own company. Um, I had to cut back... um, the size of my company by two-thirds because um, it was pulling so much time and effort due that I was no good except at work. 
And I made a conscious decision that more money wasn't worth the stress of of having to keep, you know, that size of corporation. Right. Mm. And and today I'm much happier. And Mama's much happier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how has the economy in general caused more marriages to become interrupted? When you lose your job. Yeah. You know, I was I was the the first part I was laid off for six months. Even though they gave me a package and I was living off the package, I mean, I was working from home, but, you know, until I won my first contract where I just couldn't take it anymore, I couldn't take it no more just staying at home all day. It was, you know, that's tough on the family because, you know, your package runs out, you don't have any money, and you don't have any means, you know, Luckily, I got a good Christian faith where I live by faith and not by sight that I know he's going to take care of me. And I knew something was going to come up, but it was just that, you know, you had to make different decisions. And uh, some decisions may affect the family. It, it interrupts the flow of the family because, you know, the outside world kind of dictates what you do sometimes. Yeah. What about a, a, a long commute to work? Has anybody ever had a long commute? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two hours and five minutes each way. How long? Two hours and 45 minutes one way. Gosh. And how did that affect your marriage, brother? Oh, man, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, I, I just I just, I just, just wasn't in the mood to hear anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know how that is. You know, there's, there's nothing you're going to tell me. I, I've been on the road, you know, all day. I don't work the job, and now I've been on the road for, you know, over five hours. There's nothing I want to hear. I only did that job for a year, and I had to let that go because of the location. They, they, they don't give you enough money to do that, do they? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> See, and that's, that's the same boat I was in because, you know, it's two and a half. Two forty-five to get to my job, and I, I can get home every day. But it's just the point of, I'd rather stay here and and, and not go through the drama, and then have a successful weekend because we we know it's short term. This job is short term, like you said. Is I'm only going to do this at the most a year. I'm trying my best to finish early, you know. I can finish by December. I'm happy. Right, yeah, and that's that's almost. I mean, you you're almost halfway there. Right. So, so you know, you, you do what you do uh, to keep the family going. As a man, you know, sometimes interruptions people may not understand because you know one thing affects another. Uh, is 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 meant to build the family and not hurt the family, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But what about uh, working nights? Anybody ever work nights, sleeping during Done the day? Done that, too. How did that affect your marriage, sleeping during the day? 
I don't know about sleeping during the day, but I've done three jobs in a, at one time. So you didn't get no sleep? No. No, I mean, when we first got in the house, you know, you used, you spent all your money, that 20%, you get in the house, and so you got to reload. So right when we got in our house that we are now, I took the little um, stocking job at the BJ's, and uh, then I come home and go straight to UPS and do the little assembly line in the morning. And then go to the main job. So when I came home, I went straight to bed for like two, three hours just so I can get up and go to the next job. Mm. That's getting it in right there. Yeah, that is. So yeah. how, how did that go with your wife? I mean, what what kind of schedule were y'all on? Well, we weren't on a real schedule. I mean, she was on the phone, I was asleep. Right. And then... <laughs> You know, Sunday was our night. That was our only really night. Would be like Sunday night. Because, you know, I only did the uh, BJs on the weekend. Right. And I did the other job during the week. So we'll get a few hours in and then watch a cup of TV. I'll go get a quick nap and then get up and go to work. But then on the weekend... I would uh, Sunday going into Monday because I didn't go to work on Monday except my regular job. And it is what it is. I mean, it was short term. Sometimes, you know, things, it's like kids. They get interrupted for short term when they're a baby, but then they get older. And you got a whole other situation. Yeah, because, I mean, when people are consumed with work 12 to 14 hours a day, I mean, the family life is going to suffer. But what do y'all, what do y'all think about professional athletes, airline pilots, flight attendants? Do y'all think that their their marriage can be interrupted? They're always interrupted. I mean, you think of a professional um, baseball player; they're on the road a hundred and. 83, and if you add preseason, when they go down to Tampa, you're talking uh, over 230 days out of 365 days, they're away from home. Military, if you've you, you got to go on tour, you're away from home from six months to a year. Uh, and, and these affect the family. Because one other person has to make up for that that missing person. And what about what, what about the whole other end of the spectrum when when single parents or families are struggling financially and find themselves, you know, disengaged from the from the kids just by the sheer economics of survival, working multiple jobs just to make ends meet, you know, because. The interruption stems, you know, unlike a professional athlete or, or an airline pilot, it, it's for a totally different reason. But the impact is the same. You know, parents are so focused on work rather than emotional and social lives of their children. But do y'all think, does our modern American society fail to make family a top priority? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Because, um, and, and, and half of it is our fault. Let's just be honest with it. Uh-oh. Half of it is our fault. Because, you know, there, you, you, you go back to other generations, other centuries, whatever you want to call it, decades, um, you had more nine-to-five jobs where people go to work and come home. You eat at the table. You spent family time, and everybody went to bed by 10, 30, 11. But we always enforce our kids to always do better, always do your best, you know, work hard. We never say have family life, have family time. Let me, you know, let's spend time together. No, you don't need to get on the game right now, Xbox. Let's, let's spend some family time. Right. And and now we affect our family because there's no unity in the home. Because there's no such thing as a nine-to-five unless you want to work at McDonald's. I honestly think nowadays that kids do not understand that they have to listen to their parents. And I see a lot of that on Nickelodeon, a lot of these networks that are geared toward kids. They send out they send out a crazy message. You know, you you absolutely don't have to listen to your parents or to adults. Well, you should have been in the church two weeks ago. Hmm? Our pastor said, "What you need to do is beat those kids." That's right. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. He said, "Knock them out." But you know, you know, so many parents are not doing that. I mean, I, you know, I went to my daughter's soccer game today, and you know, I saw a parent standing there watching her son on a swing, while another kid was waiting, and the parent just stopped swinging so someone else, and the kid just kept on swinging. And I'm just looking at this like, this is crazy. When, when did we become, the, when, when, when did society say that parents should be negotiators? Beat them kids. Yeah, beat them kids. Beat them. <laughs> yeah. I almost fell out when he talked about that, y'all. Yeah, our culture encourages parents, you know, to place career, money, personal satisfaction above family, unfortunately. But in other cultures, family is the highest priority. Got that right. But in the U.S., it's fourth, fifth, or sixth in level of importance. But we, as P-Town said, we have to make the choice to emphasize those values in our own lives. Um, but with the recent debate about same-sex marriage, has the definition of marriage itself been interrupted? Why'd you have to go there? I think the definition of marriage has been interrupted, whether it's same-sex or not. Okay, speak on it, bro. Well, I think nowadays, now you know, there's so much emphasis is placed on the wedding, on the event, instead mm-hmm. of what does it really mean to be married. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, I have that friend girl, she has her savings account ready to pay for her wedding and ain't got a boyfriend the first. Mm-hmm. So instead of looking to spend your life with someone, she's looking to have an event for one day. Yep. That's going to be grand. 
So that's how society has really changed marriages as far as the term marriage. I mean, you see these shows on TV, Bridezillas and all of this crazy stuff, how crazy the big day is. Let's focus on the big day. Let's focus on getting married and staying married or, or teaching your daughters to be wives and teaching your sons to be husbands. Mm. Is that being done or is it, you know, get married, don't like it, okay, get a quick divorce, you know, online, divorce online, go down to the justice peace, get married real quick, only date for like 30 days, you know, divorce and get married again, you know, get do like 25 engagements a month, you know, or a year or something. You know, it's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. I mean, these kids look at these superstars. I mean, they ain't committed to nothing. They don't have to go to war. They, you know, they don't have to get a degree. You know, there's no emphasis on any type of self-sacrifice that people in mainstream media has made. You know, when you look at their marriage and their, their kids, and you're like, wow, you know, this is this is what the media is putting in front of us. You know, and it cheapens marriage, you know, same sex or not. I mean, it just cheapens it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It used to mean something to be married. Yep. They're not even really getting married now, to be honest with you. They're shocking up more now than anything. Oh, yeah, that, you know, that's my life part. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I had to get on my daughter the other day. Why? I had to get on my daughter because, you know, she was at home. I said, what you doing? She was like watching basketball wise. I'm like, what are you watching that for? Didn't I oh, tell you no. not to watch that? Because those aren't women. <laughs> They're not wives. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you know, the reason why they all sitting on their divorce is because they acting like they're crazy. Don't no man want that. <laughs> they, and, and, and I'm trying to tell it, that's not how a lady acts. Right. They don't cuss, call each other bees and all like that. You know, when you're around your girlfriends, you want to have fun. But when you come on TV and want to show off like this, don't no man want that. Mm-mm. There's no man who's going to respect you because you acting like that. Want to fight? We don't want no We want a girl who, if, if when it's time to get down, it's time to get down. But we don't want them to be on TV fighting all the time, making us look bad. You're making <laughs> the family name look bad. That's right. We want a lady. Yeah, we want a lady. Now, why do you, and I tell her, I said, why do you think I call you my little lady? Because I'm trying to teach you what I know what men want from a lady. Mm. So you'll be prepared and won't get hurt. Try not to get hurt when it's, when it's, you're at that age where I can't help you. Mm-hmm. That's good words. Um, but yeah, that you know, that's an interruption, and that's that's where you get your divorce from. Because you know, even men have to teach women how to be women sometimes. And and because you know, we'll know when you're not a woman because we'll just use you till we can't yeah. use you no more. Yeah. But when you have a good one, you know, you gotta help out too. Yeah, you speak on using her until we can't use her anymore. Um, has infidelity ever interrupted anybody's marriage? Really? <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, it, it doesn't. Must be 10 o'clock. It must be 10 o'clock. It's business it as usual be. right after that. 
It must I've, be. I've never seen infidelity break up a marriage. Never. Oh, no, no. Go right on. Hucky Dory right after that one. Oh, yeah. She 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 just take that little infidelity hit and keep on ticking. No keep problem. Keep on moving. Keep on moving like it's like going to the grocery store. That's what men, that's what men do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. interrupt her. Yeah. I mean, maybe ran into an old flame. Caught up with her on Facebook. Yeah. That can interrupt right, your you marriage. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Nothing we talk about it at open mic. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody else's is infidelity ever interrupted your, not your current marriage, but maybe your previous marriage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a no major doubt. interrupter. No doubt. And, 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 and Chris Rock had it right. Keep on walking when they say, hold it, we can work it out. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> That's a buzzword to say, I'm going to whip your A for the next five years. <laughs> Don't fall into that one. Yeah. Keep on walking. Keep on walking. But along with Facebook, um, I looked at my cable the other day, and uh, I have over 400 channels. Um, How can you have 400 channels as much as you on Facebook? Yeah, I mean, between Facebook, 400 channels, the Internet, computer games, how can technology get in the way of our marriage? I think you should answer that one, Rodney. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've got, got a little something for that now, but I got something for it later too because it, it gets a little deeper. Um, but for me, you know, personally, it is—it's a lot of distractions. What's the truth? Yeah, I mean that is the truth, and I mean it's a lot of distractions. And is um, that the truth, so speaking? Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's—it's it's a lot of distractions, and like I said, you know, my wife being eight and a half months pregnant, it's easier. You know, for me to be on Facebook, playing words with friends, watching TV. You play words with friends? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. We're gonna have to get we have to get in some words with friends. <laughs> <laughs> I usually keep about five games. Yeah. You know, well, but I, mean, I don't I mean, think you beat me once, man. It's Drew. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, Drew beats me every time with with, man, with, my, with three little ones. So that tells you how wife, good I am. My wife is melting me, man. Uh-huh. My wife be melting me, man. She be just yeah. ruling me in words of friends. Yep, yep. My wife kills me too, man. She's good. Yeah, but I mean, we have all of these distractions, and you know, they can be, you know, marriage in a row. I don't know if it's, it's just me. You know, has technology ever? Have you noticed that technology has interrupted your marriage in any way? You know, yes, you're playing words with friends with your wife. Obviously, y'all are not sitting beside each other or in the bed, you know, playing words with friends, I would hope. I think um, I think technology interrupted my help, played a part in interrupting my first marriage because I was really big into building computers and playing computer video games, online gaming. So I did a lot of that with my first marriage. Mm-hmm. I, and I learned from that. I don't do it now. But, uh, yeah, my first marriage, yeah, I was really big into it. And that played a part. 
Mm-hmm. No worries. Anybody else? Technology in the way? No? Yeah, well, brother, you spoke about computers. Um, and, uh... Oh, boy, Ashley Madison. Don't. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah. I got a clip that I want to play, and it's only... 15 seconds before I ask this next one. But listen to this. Where the family, your wife says, I got to go drop the kids off at soccer practice. You got a 30-minute window. Mm, mm, and you're pumping one off before they come back. Pumping one off before they come back. Um, Have you ever been interrupted while you were masturbating while looking at porn? Yeah, uh, <laughs> one <laughs> <laughs> a couple, maybe that maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> maybe twice, but I'm 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 good at it, man. I'm always ready. You know, I know there's a chance. You know, I I know you know cover that thing up. And, you know, act like ain't nothing going on now. <laughs> yeah, because the brother said, you know, they going off to soccer practice. You got a few minutes, and then it's like, oh. I forgot something. Mhm. Yeah, but so you got to make sure you got to call and ask how the game start. You know, and listen in the background, make sure they, you know, they there. Oh. Everything. Then you know, you, you gonna do all that now. You know, you know. But yeah, you gotta check, and make sure, because Lord knows you do not want your daughter. Oh, that that right there. That, 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 they they just going to kill me now. They just going to put me in the ground now because I don't, I don't even want to live. I don't want to live another second after that one. Not just seeing you, but seeing you doing that. No, no, man, no, no. Yeah, that's that's unimaginable, man. Yeah, I think I would need I would need psychological help. I think you would need householdstress.com. Man, I need more than some household stress. <laughs> but I mean, we talk about masturbating, and we, you know, we did a show on masturbating um, a few weeks ago. But it's good; it prevents prostate cancer. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. That's what the host said. But what about tying it back to? I think what we talked about there was um, on that show was the military and. But I want to bring this back to marriage inter- being interrupted. And somebody actually mentioned it um, earlier. I think it was Pete Town. But how can the military interrupt people's marriages? Mm. I mean, I'm not going. Being a part going. Yeah, the distance. The distance, the significant other that, you know, after a while, um, there's a lot of men that prey on women that, that they know their husbands is is in a different country. Mm-hmm. Cause they know after a while they're gonna get a little lonely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're gonna use that game plan to try to get in there. You know, not only not only dear John, Johns, but uh, also the fact that she can never really establish herself professionally if she want to get a job. Cause she's got to follow you wherever you go, mm. wherever you get orders. She got to put that on hold. And I, and I tell you right now, that's a big one in military in military marriages. 
So the fact that she just got to get a, a little part-time job here. And yeah, there. she spent all her time going to school. If she want to establish a career, you never there. You never anywhere longer than four years. I'll tell you what we uh, we counseled a couple like that, and um, that was the exact situation. And and he was uh, stationed to, to to go out to Turkey. She said, "I'm not going." And he said, well, you know, I'm going to be there for two or three years. And she said, I'm not going. Um, she lives to regret that, that, that choice, but that was the situation. Do you think she really regretted it? Oh, I know she did. <laughs> I mean, because... Just about destroyed their marriage. Um, you know, she got... They got married, and she knew he was in the military. I mean, that's oh, so she tried to stay married to him. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, she didn't. She didn't want to break out. She, she just, you know, I'm, I'm tired of moving, and and this was like his last, uh, his last post before he, you know, got his twenty in, right. and he scheduled to be there for like two years, and 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 she, you know not. Yeah, it's one thing to say, okay, honey, I really don't want to go there, and let's talk about it, and and you come to an agreement. Right, he, exactly. Honey, I don't want to be away from the family. She said, I don't care. I'm not going. Hmm. He said, well, I don't have a choice. She said, well, you got to do what you got to do. So he said he didn't have a choice. Well, I mean, in 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 the in the military, a lot of times you don't have a choice. No, he got orders. He got to go. He got to he go. got orders. You got to go. And but, and she, but you said he meant. He was getting ready to retire, right? He had two years left. He had two years left, and and she said, um, she said, uh, you know, I had to leave my job here. I had to leave my job here. I'm not going, and I'm not doing it. And you know, it was more an affront to his manhood, you know, by saying, "I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you have to say. And there's nothing you can say to make me do it." That was the kind of attitude she had. Instead of coming here and saying, "Honey," Let's look at this situation and let's come to an agreement together. And whatever you decide, I'll support. She said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, I don't care what you got to say. I'm not doing it mm. <laughs> because I've had to leave my career three times." Blah blah blah. So, Andrew, you're saying that moving can interrupt a marriage, whether it be the military or not. Definitely, but but definitely when. You know, when when that's a situation, you know, because just like somebody said, you know, that you know, at you sign up for that deal when you're 20 years old. When you're 35, you're still in that deal, and and you're not looking at it the same, because you know you got married at 20 with love. You're 35. You moved four times already, and and all you can do is part time gigs because you can't you know develop a career because it's all about your husband's military career causes problems. Wow. What about let me let me peel this onion a little bit further. Y'all have seen the pictures on Facebook where um the guy goes off, serves his country and and is maimed. And they post I know y'all seen him on Facebook, you know, like this, you know, status, he's a military guy, but I mean he's maimed. He didn't go he didn't he didn't come back the same way that he left. I'm talking to a whole lot of them. A whole lot of folks. And, and how do y'all think that 
can interrupt the marriage. That's, well, now and I think that might affect it enough because one thing I read, I mean, and I've seen on TV, I don't mean I don't know anybody personally, but um, these guys don't come back the same, and now you, the, the wife has more burden than ever because they have to wait in line or wait, you know, they got to get scheduled to go see a doctor or something, and it may be three months because it's so, you know, that doctor is overloaded. It's overbooked. So, you know, this man can go through some things and have some stress that won't be looked at or fixed for a very long time. That's a lot of burden in the house. And just to add on that, um, a lot of guys come back mentally scarred. You know, the maiming, the physical maiming, you know, that's bad. But I've seen guys, I mean, I know a good friend of mine, he came back like, I mean, he was just like a living zombie. I mean, it was just like he was on that medicine for ADHD or something, you know. I mean, he was just zoned out. He just wasn't even there anymore. It was like whoever he was, it just got up and left, and it's just a shell of a person. And it was like, and his wife filed for divorce. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, because... Whatever happened to him over there, because he ain't talking about it with anybody, is is just affecting him so much to where he just, you know, he shut down. And he'll probably need counseling for the rest of his life. Yeah. Wow. Don't worry, we'll have some help at householdstress.com in the near future. We'll, we'll have some help. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, um, another one with military is um, a lot of these guys have been trained well by the military, uh, not, you know, by fighting, but with with a, a tool or some type of uh, uh, a trade. So when they come out, they should be ready for the world. However, when they go into the civilian world, they're not finding the jobs. And I was talking to somebody today about, yeah, I got some veteran folks. I'm trying to help out and get a job. And the one thing he told me is that it's hard to give veterans a job because even though they have a tool set, they don't have the experience to do civilian jobs. So it's hard for them to transfer from military to civilian and just jump right into the world, which, which is being a, it, what people are finding out is a real big effect to families because the guy can't find a job, even though he's qualified. Right. It took me three years to get my government child. After coming mm-hmm. back from the, out of the military? After, after getting out of the military. And he's qualified, but it, 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 he's not qualified for whatever the government job was for. Because that particular skill was not on his resume. So were you married then, brother, when you, you say it took three years? Uh, I was in transitioning. Uh, I had just got divorced when I got out. 
uh, from oh. my first marriage. And, you know, I was married to her, to, you know, same time I was in the military for nine years. And yeah. then after that, you know, I was single, you know, and I was doing my thing. And then uh, when I met my, my second wife, you know, my, who I'm married to now, um, I was still struggling trying to get on with the government. And then I finally got on um, same year we got married. Mm. Interesting. So you actually got two wedding anniversaries, kind of, right? Because you got two wives. Well, no, I have one, one <laughs> wedding anniversary that I just recently celebrated on May 15th. Right now, I don't know what the hell are you talking about. <laughs> you think I celebrate the se- you think I celebrate the first wedding anniversary married to the ex-wife, right? <laughs> you talking about interruption? Yeah, be like, yeah, that's honey. interruption right there. Yeah. Honey, it's, it's my first, our first, <laughs> yeah, my first wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, oh, it's my ex-wife's birthday. We need to do something special. <laughs> yeah, okay. Take her to the sizzler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but I'm just messing with you, man. The reason I say that is um, I want to switch gears just slightly. Just slightly. I want to switch gears. And um, I want to talk about Cricket and Ken Carpenter. Now, Cricket and Ken are so much in love that they do actually celebrate two wedding anniversaries every year. Let me tell you all the story. Please indulge me for a little bit. Um, But Cricket is 28 and Ken is 32, and the real anniversary is in September, and the second one is in May, just like the brother said his anniversary is in May. But three years actually separate the two dates. So I know you wanted, but two weddings in three years. But for this couple, it, it was part of marital survival. Survival because on September 18, 1993, they became husband and wife. And after honeymooning in Maui, they returned to New Mexico with dreams of a long, happy life. After all, what could stop them? But on the eve of Thanksgiving in 1993, after being married only two months, Ken and his beautiful bride were heading to Phoenix, Arizona, awaiting their holiday arrival with a new bride's parents. Everyone was looking forward to the break. Cricket took the wheel of their brand spanking new Ford Escort at around 4.30 p.m., while her husband, nursing a cold, tried to get comfortable in the back seat. Two hours later, night had fallen on the interstate. Cricket has no recollection of what happened six miles outside of New Mexico. Just ahead of their car, a slow-moving truck carrying auto parts was obscured behind a cloud of exhaust, and Cricket saw the truck just in time, hit the brakes, and swerved to the left. A pickup truck following their car swerved at the same time and hit them with such force that escort flipped and slid down the interstate. And when the inter- when the escort flipped, Ken was thrown onto the ceiling inside the car, his back exposed to the asphalt through the shattered sunroof. His legs were pinned, and he couldn't locate his wife. She didn't answer him. Secured by her seatbelt, Cricket was hanging upside down in the driver's seat, head tilted, unconscious, the roof of the car crushed around her skull. It would be 20 minutes before help arrived. The fairy tale was fractured on that November night. 
A doctor in the emergency room handed Ken an envelope with his wife's wedding rings and her watch. And the doctor said, I'm very sorry. With severe bleeding in her brain, she's hanging on to life by a thread. Her chance of survival is less than 1%. Mm-hmm. But over time, the swelling began to subside in Cricket's brain. She was taken off life support and transferred to Barrow Neurological Institute in Phoenix. And Barrow is one of the finest facilities in the country for head trauma victims. There she began to come out of her coma, and miracles were happening, you know, but for these newlyweds, just only married two months, the trials were just beginning. So after the transfer, Cricket continued to make progress physically, but for head trauma victims, you can't predict what moment improvement will stop. Cricket's 20-plus years of athletic training and fitness helped her body respond relatively quickly. But a routine series of questions asked by a nurse revealed a deeper wound. Her nurse asked, Cricket, who is your husband? Cricket didn't answer immediately. Finally, she said, I'm not married. The nurse said, yes, you are, Cricket. Try again. Who is your husband? Another pause. And then Cricket finally said, Todd? Now, Todd was actually an old boyfriend from her college days. The head injury had caused short-term memory loss. The 18 months prior to the accident and the four months after all the time that Cricket had known, dated, and married Ken were completely erased. Added to that, her once bubbly personality had disappeared. She became negative, used foul language, and sometimes displayed no emotions at all. Her smile that used to light up the room was extinguished. It was a scary time for everyone who loved her, especially Ken. Now, Ken tried to tell himself, that's not my wife talking or acting like this. The real cricket will come back. But, fellas, statistics tell another story. In marriages where one partner has suffered a head injury, the the divorce rate is a staggering 80 to 90%. And the doctor told Ken, if the short-term memory doesn't come back within 18 months of the accident, it will probably never come back. And they actually made a movie about this true story that was released this year, and it was called The Vow. I don't know if any of y'all have seen yeah. The Vow. Yeah, or I got seen it. The yeah. My wife so. and daughter are dying to see it. Yeah. So here's the question, fellas. Y'all have heard this, the, the story of Cricket and Ken Carpenter. Do y'all think that this kind of situation could actually be more difficult to deal with than death? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because death, you don't see them. You know, they 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 they're gone physically. But here, they don't even remember you. That's man. You know, and I'll I'll tell you another thing. Um, I think that sometimes death would be easier to deal with than divorce. Just because you don't have to deal with it. You mourn the loss, and you deal with it, and you, you move on with life. Mm-hmm. Not, a lot of mem- not a lot of constant reminders. Right. But that divorce, it's the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. Mm-hmm. That, that, that post that you, you talked about, you know, five five good things that, that happened for kids after divorce. 
Yeah. And I almost threw up in my mouth when I read that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so people think that when they get divorced, they're going to be happy. <laughs> right. I, I sit in my living room and say that nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> the tension's going to be gone. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they sign those papers and it crashes on them, and, and, and they realize, you know what? <laughs> It ain't any happier. Matter of fact, it's worse. Mm. You know, the big problem with divorce is just because you get a divorce, half of the problem is still there, which is Amen. you. Amen. <laughs> now <laughs> you don't realize that the problem's in them. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's good words. So let me Amen, repeat the cycle. Yeah, let me continue with, with the story of Cricket and Ken here. Um, Cricket was released, and she started living with her parents out in Phoenix. And she continued rehabilitation as an outpatient, but her attention span and her patience were short. She didn't like being pushed to do things. And her husband, Ken, tried to encourage her, but Cricket's reactions were strong. She hated this guy who was irritating her. And Cricket was curious about this man who everyone said was her husband. And on April 14, 1994, almost five months after the car accident, the doctors decided it was time for Cricket to go home for good. Moving in and loving a stranger she just got reacquainted with was not easy. The wife thing remained a mystery. What did I used to do, she would ask Ken. So here's the question, fellas. Is this, if this had happened to you, how would you respond if your wife asked you, what did I used to do? Now, for that some movie, of y'all... Dates? Huh? Did you see that movie, Fifty First Dates? No. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Same deal. Yeah. I, I, mean, I would tell, I would tell my wife... short-term memory and forgot she was married and had kids. And every day in the morning, he would wake up and play a videotape to show her you know, these are your kids. I'm your husband. <laughs> he made all these recordings. It was funny. It was a comedy, but it was yeah, same deal. Yeah, same deal. Mm-hmm. Were you saying, T-Hawk, you would tell your wife? I would tell her everything that I want her to do. I'd be like, that's what you used to do. T-Hawk, honey, let's start in the bedroom. Now, this is what you used to do. This is what you used to do every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> oh man! Mm-mm. So that's a, that's a question. She will remember. She'll say, "No, I didn't." <laughs> that's one thing they ain't gonna never forget. <laughs> oh man! Well, let me let me continue on, fellas. Oh, still prone to un- unpredictable mood swings, cricket would laugh, cry, or even become angry without warning. But over time, a new cricket had emerged. She was definitely less inhibited, quicker to laugh, play jokes, and not hide her emotions. As his wife improved, Ken was battling the effects of prescription drugs he had been taking since the accident. And these included sleeping pills, antidepressants, painkillers, etc. And he knew it was time to stop, but the withdrawal actually took a toll on his body and his mind. And they were going to marital counseling, and after a few sessions... The therapist suggested that Ken start redating his wife. 
and Cricket began to enjoy Ken's companionship and missed him when he was gone. Her love started to grow anew for him again. Next, the therapist suggested that they get married all over again. Now, this didn't thrill Ken as much as it did Cricket to get married all over again. But what would y'all, what, what do y'all think about that? Is that well, something you know, that you would entertain to get married well, all over again? Well, you well, know, yeah, if it that. helped, hmm? if it helped, you know, there's another movie called The Notebook where the lady got dementia, mm-hmm. and there wasn't any accident or anything, just old age, and the husband had to do the same thing, and probably. I mean, that's something that's probably going to happen if we stay married to the same person, you know, throughout the end. Somebody's going to lose it, and the other person's going to have to remind them every day. Yep. Yeah, true that. Good words. And finally, fellas, uh, Ken said, this is what Ken said. He said, we don't have a story without God. And that story really is about commitment, commitment to him and commitment in marriage. He said, I honestly didn't think our marriage would work, but I vowed before God until death do you part. Mm-hmm. And during rehab, Cricket had flashes of memory, things that were vaguely familiar, like working out. But she was certain that she was a Christian, a fact that didn't surprise her brother, Jamie. Her brother said that her Christianity was a component of her core being, her, her soul. So it wasn't affected by any physical injury. That faith never left her for a moment. God kept it safe. That's what her brother said. And her husband, Ken, said, and I quote, I really think that God needed to break me. I had to give everything to him. Cricket has always been solid as a rock in her faith. And Ken and Cricket eventually started attending church regularly again. And later on, they actually started the commitment ministry. And Ken said it's great to be able to help people, Christians and non-Christians alike, who might be hurting in their marriages. And as Cricket continues to approve, she said, and I quote, she said, I forget things, yes, but I can walk, I can talk, and I'm alive. Mm. And I have a wonderful husband. So to those of you who had the movie, let me borrow it. Because I, I like to see it, I haven't seen the movie, but it sounds, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. I haven't seen the movie, but you know, that's a sickness. And, and as T Hawk mentioned, um, you know, it, it could be dementia, it could be this situation. But I want, I want to turn this thing just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And I've got another article here, um, and it was written by Jackie Hanson. This is a true story, fellas. This is a true story. On Sunday afternoon of July 2009, Diane Shuler drove a minivan the wrong way on the Taconic Parkway in New York and slammed headfirst into an oncoming SUV. Some of y'all may have heard about this story, but let me, let me explain. Eight people died in the collision, including three little girls who were sitting in the back seat of the minivan. Jackie says, I am the mother of those beautiful girls, Emma, Allison, and Katie, ages 8, 7, and 5. The girls had gone off for a weekend camping trip with their Aunt Diane, their uncle, and their cousins. They had been excited about this annual event, and they checked in with us many times over the weekend to tell us how much fun they were having. I missed them, but I felt confident that they were safe since my husband, Warren, 
and I had sent them away with my sister-in-law, the most responsible person I knew. Then came the conversation that I replay in my head a dozen times a day, and this is Jackie talking. On the drive back home, our eldest daughter, Emma, called me from the car and said, Mommy, something is wrong with Aunt Diane. I heard other children crying in the background, and then the phone cut out. My husband, Warren, called back immediately, and when he spoke to his sister, she didn't sound right. He told her not to drive, to pull over right away. We thought she was having some type of medical emergency. He got Emma back on the phone to describe exactly where they were. I stayed home and called 911. Warren raced off to try to find them. But by then it was too late. Instead of stopping, Aunt Diane drove the wrong way down an exit ramp, continued along the highway, and hit an SUV. My three kids, Aunt Diane and her own two-year-old daughter, were all killed. The three men in the other SUV also died. Mm. Only my nephew, Brian, seven years old, survived the crash. Jackie continues, when something this terrible happens, your brain simply cannot process it, or at least mine couldn't. For weeks after the accident, I'd wake up thinking it was that Sunday again that the girls were heading home. And every day my husband or one of my friends would have to tell me the awful news all over again. For the first month, friends stayed at my house 24 hours a day, sleeping on the couch or sitting outside our bedroom door. It wasn't just to keep me company. I was so dazed with grief that I wandered out of my room or out of the house at all hours of the night. I don't know what I was doing. Was I searching for my girls? But my friends and family would gently steer me back where I belonged. They were amazing, helping with everything, including dealing with all the phone calls from Oprah, Dr. Phil, and other talk shows. News helicopters were circling over my house, and the police had to rope off our streets since so many reporters had gathered. But I didn't talk to anyone. I couldn't. Since the accident, I've spoken to other moms who've lost a child, and they usually said that they needed to stay strong for the children they still have. I didn't have that. All I could think about was Emma, Allison, and Katie, my three beautiful girls, and mm. all the wonderful things they never do, they never <laughs> see. Mm. So what do y'all think about this story? Tragic. Have y'all heard about that story? Yeah, I heard about mm. that. That'll test your faith. Well, it, it, it gets a little deep. Let me turn it a little bit more. Jackie continues. We're family, so we buried the girls next to Aunt Diane. While attending the funeral, I had no idea what we would find out later. Toxicology reports showed that Aunt Diane had a blood alcohol level double the legal limit, along with evidence she'd been smoking marijuana. Wow. My husband and I were stunned. So how do y'all feel about Aunt Diane now? Aunt Diane was adored by the family. She was also the one who ruined their lives. Yo, what's up, man? Why see you up on the bumper, boy? Up on the- so, what what do y'all think about Aunt Diane? How do y'all feel about Aunt Diane? Oh, yeah, let me make sure I understand. So Aunt Diane lived, right? No. Oh, she died? 
Yeah, every, yeah, she died. Uh, yeah, they buried they buried the girls next to Aunt Diane. Okay. And then during the funeral, that's when the toxicology, you know, after the funeral, the information came out that Aunt Diane was drunk and high. She was not having a medical emergency. That's that's crazy. So if, if this were you, do you think you would want to hate Aunt Diane? Of course. Yeah, I mean, that's normal. That's yeah. a natural human reaction to something like that. But this is your spouse's sister. That doesn't mean anything. What What does that mean? Your child is still dead. Children. I mean, children have died. She killed her own child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, did your spouse know that she had a uh, 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 an appetite for weed and drinking? Yeah, don't know. I mean, that would have been a question too. You know, you know, did anybody know that that auntie was, uh, you know, an alcoholic or whatever you want to call it? I mean, because you know. If you got kids in the car and you got to have a drink, that's an alcoholic. If you can't stop drinking long enough to not, you know, to know that you've got a uh, uh, very, very precious cargo, you got an issue. And did anybody not know that? Yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely cause some some separation after you found out what the deal was. Yeah, it would stress a marriage. Yeah. And that's that's what yeah. we're talking about, because Jackie continues. She said, when I see the misery in Warren's eyes, my husband, I know what he's thinking. It was his sister who did this, his sister that destroyed our lives. I can't blame him for her actions. And since Diane's not here, I can't take out my anger, my confusion, or my heartache on her. There's no one left to hate. And anyway, we both loved Aunt Diane very much. They didn't know that she was, you know, dabbling into these things, especially not when she was caring for their children. Now, I've got two kids, and all of y'all have got kids. But could you imagine losing all of your kids at the same time? All of them. And I know y'all. I need therapy. Yeah, I mean. Put me right in therapy. Need more than that. Because that'd be the only thing that saved me. Mm. I don't think therapy would have anything to do with it. And you can't get back at the person that caused it. They died too. Mm. Yeah. You got to just take that one. Mm. That's deep. That's deep. And that's, 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 man. You know, you, you, you'd have to figure out a reason to keep going. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, I mean, you know, said our life is destroyed. I mean, you, you, you know, one day it's you and your three kids, your husband, your wife, whatever, and then it's nothing. I mean, yeah. you, you, you get to a point where saying, well, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that... I, that tests your faith there, boy. Yeah, and Jackie Jackie continues. Warren and I have struggled with our grief and the differences in how we grieve from the first day. He copes by staying busy and trying not to think about it. 
I'm the opposite. I need to talk about it. We're different people, but we're both broken. I need someone to help me to take the pain away. But how can Warren do that for me when he is in the same place struggling with his own pain? When I look to him for strength, all I see is heartache. Do y'all think that your marriage could survive this? Do y'all think that your marriage could survive this interruption? I don't know, but I, I did um, a, a friend of my uh, my parents, my next my parents' next door neighbor, went situation where where the son got tragically killed in an accident and and um they ended up divorcing and she told me my mom told me that um something like 80% of marriages that lose a child tragically end up in divorce and that's actually not true oh, okay because while some couples don't make it through the loss of a child Statistics show that many marriages actually survive this tragedy. Only yeah. 16% of all couples that experience the death of a child get divorced. And less that. than yeah, and less than half of those divorced reported that the death of their child as a factor in the decision in the divorce. So, and that's according to parental grief support group called the Compassionate Friends, the nation's largest bereavement organization. And people are always quoting the statistics of how few marriages survive the death of a child. But when you factor in our extraordinary circumstances, you really begin how you wonder how they could have held on. But Jackie says she loved him very much, and that part never changed. She loved Warren. But here, let, let me just turn it just a little bit further, just a little bit further. The split in our extended family makes it even harder. Warren and I have remained private until now. But Diane's husband, Uncle Danny, went public to defend her reputation and to search for another explanation for what happened to her. So here we are with Uncle Danny. He said, no, my wife doesn't do drugs. She doesn't drink and drive. So what do y'all think about Uncle Danny with this? He's coming defending his wife. Say, hey. What else can he do? No. But the toxicology reports say something different. He may not even know, as T-Hawk said, he may not even have known that she was dabbling in these things. But yet he's out in front of it saying, you know what, this is not not true, you know. Divide, the family is already broken. And this just makes it even that much more worse. Well, you know, it is possible, it is possible that he didn't know. Yep. It is. Absolutely. Because, because of the fact that they had a two-year-old. And you don't know what type of postpartum she may have went through with their child. And right. maybe after maybe have it that she picked up later on. He really would have known. He wouldn't have let his child be in the car. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, because he killed his child too. That's good words. That's right. I mean, you know, as terrible as it was for that other couple, he really had to go through it. Mm-hmm. Because everybody would be looking at him like, 
it was his fault too. That's right. He's a surviving member of the family. He lost his wife, and everybody's looking at him like he's the black sheep, like like he's got the mark. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. But I do remember hearing about that. Yeah. Hey, gone, man. 102 to 74. Jackie continues. After the accident, desperate for answers, I visited many pastors and asked why all my girls were taken. Mm. I was told over and over again they needed to be together. That just made me angrier. (laughs) Didn't the girls need to be together here on earth with warning me? That's a dumb thing to say. Raising three kids, my house was always filled with noise and excitement. I sometimes thought all I wanted was a moment of silence. Now the silence tortures me. Some days I just sit in my pajamas, unable to move. But I am grateful every day for my friends and family who have gotten me through the worst. They bought us dinner every single night for one full year. I used to love to cook, especially with the girls. And I can hear Allison bounding into the kitchen saying, What's for dinner? We got mac and cheese. Mommy would smell so good. The memory was so strong that after the accident, I stopped cooking completely. So what if your wife couldn't even function anymore? What if she couldn't cook, couldn't clean, or whatever? How would you respond? How would you react to that? She couldn't do anything. She used to cook. She used to clean, but nope. How would y'all respond to that? I don't know. My wife threatened me with that like a lot of times already. (laughs) 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 So so I don't know, man, not to make light of it, but that's reality for me, you know, sometimes. You know, I think that, um, you know, there's all kind of, you know, sicknesses, and some of them are physical, some of them are emotional, you know, and, um, you know, that, you know, in sickness and in health, and we've got to be there. You know, I mean, if, if something happened and, and your wife, you know, uh, got cancer and, and couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything and, and you had to take care of her, what would you do? you do the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's an emotional disease or, or, or damage. I mean, we've got that. We may be called to do that. I remember my wife and I got married, and and six months six months later she got literally deathly ill, and was in the hospital, and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. I mean, she, I, she was on so much morphine. I was literally sitting there day and night watching to make sure she was still breathing. She was in so much pain, um, and I didn't know if she was going to make it or not. But I do know one thing is as I prayed and prayed and prayed, after a week the Lord just, just put in my spirit, get up. 
you know, I'm going to give you the grace. Whatever the, I didn't know if she was going to get well or not, but but I knew that he'd give me the grace to deal with whatever it was. I mean, uh, you know, she was in diapers. And, you know, it, sometimes, you know, we may be called to that. And we got to check ourselves. What is this about? Is it is it about the diamonds walking down down the aisle with you? Because it's not always going to be that. Mm-hmm. We may be called to step up and really honor the vow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one interesting thing as as we close this segment here, um, they actually still celebrate the girls' birthdays, just as they always did. And what I mean is that family, friends, presents, cake, the whole nine. She says the only things that are missing are Emma, Allison, and Katie. That's got to be torture. You got that right. Yeah. Is, ah, come on, man. I mean, at some point in time, you just have to say, you know what, this is, this is over the top. Yeah. They still no. write messages. They they write messages to the guest of honor on balloons and release them into the air, hoping that they get to them in heaven. I mean, I, I can understand a, a balloon release every year or something like that. It's just a simple walk outside just for the girls. But the big hoopla and the presents and all that, that's over yeah. the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good word, true that. I mean, that's a lot to invite friends. Oh, hey, we have not yeah, I mean a party. Yeah, a party. And what, how many years has this been? This happened in uh, 2009, I think. 2009, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. The yeah. recycling gifts. You hit a point that you gotta you gotta move forward, and I don't know. I haven't been through, so I can't say what I would do or wouldn't do. Right. You know, but you know, 2009. You know, you're talking three years ago. You know, if we're talking, you know, ten years, you're still at that point. You know, there may be some deeper, you know, deeper help that's needed, because you you got to move forward with life. You know, uh, you know, we like to think that you know, hey, we're all, you know, we're all going to live eighty, ninety years, but that's just not the case. You know, yeah. we're not guaranteed that. You know, tomorrow's not promised. You got to move on with life. You got to hit a point that the grieving, you know, changes from from that same place. Yeah. Very true. Very true. 107 to 76. Yeah, Indiana going to pull this thing off, man. <laughs> now, what it's happened the, again? <laughs> it's it's 110 to 76 with one minute and 36 seconds left. Yeah, I think it's over. But to, they need to sit them down. Y'all talk about how they would, um, how they would, how you would cope with it. They actually set up uh, a family foundation. Um, in in the honor of the memory of Emma, Allison, and Katie, and they have community programs, you know, mostly aimed at helping young girls gain their self esteem. And they have a family fun day, um, um, and and this year, uh, 2012, uh, 2011 rather, they had 1,600 people of all ages participating in fun runs, and and hundreds more came back to the local park for games and an auction. And Jackie says, it's wonderful to hear the laughter and joy, even though the three children who would really love the day are missing. 
Sometimes it hurts to see other children benefiting because my children have died, but I'm proud of the foundation and what it offers. And after the accident, many people suggested that they consider having another child. And um, But they said the babies, you know, having a baby was what the girls would want and it would give them a future. But at the time, Jackie wasn't even remotely interested. And she also had her tubes tied. But after listening to her friends, she slowly began to investigate in vitro fertilization. They had just paid for three funerals and a beautiful burial plot, so she didn't know how they could afford the expensive procedure. And then they were hit with another shock. Let me just turn it a little bit further. The relatives of the two people who died in the SUV were bringing a lawsuit against my husband, Warren. The car Aunt Diane was driving was my minivan and was registered in my husband's name. Mm -hmm. So by some horrible irony, Warren could be taken to court. While everything that mattered was already gone, everything that remained could still be taken. So... Regarding the in vitro, and they actually the lawsuit was they didn't they didn't have to worry about that, but that did come up. But a friend of a friend worked for a fertility doctor in Manhattan and heard about Jackie's situation, and the doctor contacted her and offered to do the procedure for free. So they did the whole fertilization, and, and the embryos were frozen, and. She had gone through the process, but she wasn't in a place where she could seriously think about another child, having a little child. And she she had taken her friend's advice and followed through on the doctor's generous offer as if she was in a trance. It was just something to do to keep her mind occupied. But listen to what her husband said at the funeral. He said, and I quote, love your children, cherish your children, kiss your children, and don't ever forget. Every day, all I want is to be reunited with my girls again in heaven. But Emma, Allison, and Katie have other plans for me right now. Was Warren right? No. Was he right? No? Nope. Why not? Girls ain't got nothing to do with it. God might have plans for her, but the girls don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good words. You know, I, I mean, I, I haven't been to heaven, but I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that the people in heaven are thinking about what we're dealing with here on earth. I, I think they've probably got other things on their mind. But God, on the other hand, you know, sometimes, you know, He's got to get our, our attention for whatever reason, and and we got to focus on Him. So, so Andrew. Okay. Let me let me just ask this question. So you don't think, and I don't think this, I'm with you, but I've heard a lot of people say that when people go, like uh, grandparents or parents, or they're, they're somewhere still looking out for us or in heaven watching over us. So you, you, you don't subscribe to that either. I don't, you know, but I, I haven't been there. I don't know. But I, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I don't think so. I think that uh, I know God does, mm-hmm. and he may assign angels to, to watch over us, but I don't think the, 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 the dead are doing that. You know, I don't know. I've been there, but I don't think so. 
I think I that, agree with you. I, I agree think with you. the plan, and and you know I, you know to say that that that, that nonsense that those pastors were telling her. I mean that's that's religious gobbledygook. You know sometimes you got to say you know this really sucks, and and I don't have an answer. I mean you know that's the real truth. I don't have an answer, and I don't I don't pretend to have an answer. You know, and 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 the pain is, is something I can't even fathom. You know, I'm here for you. If there's anything, if you just want me to sit, sometimes people just need you to sit and not say a thing. Because mm-hmm. saying stuff like that, you just want to get up and slap the living something out of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
those ups and downs, those times when she had to call me to come home because mommy fell down or mommy don't look so good, daddy, where you at? Or me having to send her off in the ambulance while I get paperwork together to meet her at the hospital. She grew up very quickly. She's 14, but she's probably got the mind of a 20-year-old because of all the things she saw and experienced on that time. And 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 was this her first Mother's Day without her? Yeah, yeah, it was her first Mother's Day, and, and unfortunately, I made a a mistake. Um, my friend told me not to make her do anything she didn't want to do. But, you know, being at home in your home church and everybody knows you and, you know, sometimes the older folks in your life can be very pushy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they look at you like you're crazy. You don't want to do something. You know, they called all the kids up to the altar and I told her to go ahead, you know, but not thinking, you know, it was Mother's Day and all that, that they were ask you to say something about your mother, something that you want your mother to know that you're going to do and all that. So, you know, fortunately the, the tone changed and they didn't ask them to say anything about their mother. They asked them to say a Bible verse or just say whatever they wanted to say and um, move on. But it, it bothered her. She got a little upset about it, but she got past it. And then I was grateful that she got past it, but after she got there, I realized that maybe I should just kept her there with me. Right. And when you got married, did you ever did it ever cross your mind that your marriage would be interrupted in this way, or or, or any way for that matter? No. I mean, never. I mean, we would sit here when it first occurred, which is first diagnosed with cancer. Um, we used to look at each other and say, who would have thought? I mean, we'd be laying in the bed or just sitting there on the couch and just in amazement. And we're just like, who would have thought that this would be happening to us in this manner? But you never know. Life is life is not promised to you. Each moment is not promised to you. It's You have to live and understand that God is in control of everything. Yeah. And you have to take that and understand that you have to live your life and do it in a manner of respect and try to do the best you can so that when it comes to that judgment time and judgment is passed on you, that, okay, maybe this person didn't do everything they're supposed to do, but they fulfilled and lived a good life and they had respect for their fellow man, this, that, and other. So, you know, you can't just go off the handle one day and just cut your mom out, cut your dad out. Because you may walk out the door, you may not be able to go back and tell you sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, every, every day is not promised. Mm-hmm. And I never I never would have thought that we would have been in, that, in this situation. But that was the hand I was dealt. And I, like you was talking earlier, you know, I had to step up. You know, it sent me into a different mode. I had to do everything. I had to take her to appointments. I had to cook dinner. I had to take care of my daughter, take her to chilling practice. I became Mr. Mom. I had to do all that. And I'm still doing it. Because now it's just my daughter and I. 
So after the funeral was over, you know, after all the extended family members went back home, everything was all done. Do you remember the first thing that you did? Just laid down. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to just lay down. And it's taken me probably up until, I mean, the the last month or so to finally get into a point where I could just even rest because you're in a mode of, of, of like a robot. You, you hear something, you feel something, you wake up, you jump, you move. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the compound of the cancer, she was a diabetic. So, you know, a sugar drop in the middle of the night, I got to get up and run out there to get something to bring her back up. I mean, you know, it, it was it was definitely a calling. Mm. If you were not fit for it, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Wow. Do you think that's the biggest thing you've learned going through all of this? That it was a calling? Yeah, I think, I I really believe, I really believe, I'm a firm believer in it, that God puts you in certain places in certain situations for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 may be in a situation you and you're like, I don't really want to be here. I don't want to do this. But for whatever reason, you keep pounding it out. You keep you stay there, and through it all, it comes to a point where it's, you think to yourself, Well, this is the reason I was here. This is what I was supposed to be here for. You know, because actuality. My wife and I, we probably wouldn't have been married because there was somebody else that I had looked to. Mm-hmm. But things didn't pan out, so we ended up getting back together and getting married. And, you know, you say, you look at the situation and say, okay, well, you know, maybe, okay, we're working through it, we'll see if things work out, whatever. But you don't know what the reason is why you were put there, why you were put together. It's like on a job sometimes. You don't know why you are put there. But... You stick it out, and you find out things as you go along. Okay, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I honestly believe that I was—I have been—I had been put in this marriage to protect her, to take care of her, and truly, at the end, that's what I—that's—that's that's what I did. I mean, I loved her. I protected her. Make sure she got everything she needed to call for appointment. I mean, there were there were not many appointments I missed. I drove up and down the coast, East Coast, North Carolina, the Maryland, try to find cures. I mean, you name it, stones were not left unturned. And not not that I did it for any accolades or anything, but you know to hear them resonate afterwards from people that you know she that you didn't know she talked to say that, you know, my husband did everything for me. It's just little things like just sitting there rubbing my hand, just talking to me, just comforting me. And, you know, you hear that, and it's like, wow. But sometimes you don't know your spouse thinks about you like that. Right. But, you know, a lot of times you, you get on the nerves, and they're cussing you out. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So, you know, I mean, to hear that, 
resonate afterwards. It's like, wow, you know. Yeah. You said but, something um, a second ago about if you're not fit for it, you won't make it. How do you get fit? How do you get fit as a head of household for that type of? You just I use the word. I mean, but how do you get fit? You just, you, I mean, you just have this instinct, this gut, this raw mentality that you're not going to let anything, anything take over your family. In regards to what you may have going on in your household, you're not going to let anything outside come in and take over your family. And come hell or high water, sickness, whatever, you're going to step up and do what you have to do. Now, granted, there are some people that won't do that. There have been men, women, that spouse gets sick. They bail. They, they flee. Mm-hmm. They run. Mm-hmm. Can't handle it. You know? And they can't help it. They leave you there, and, you know, to your relatives or somebody has to take care of you. Wow. You know, and that's and that's sad because, you know, you would hope. And, you know, in going through it, you know, you think about it, and you say, may say, this, well, you know, if it were me, would this same thing happen? Would they take care of me the way I'm taking care of them? But, you know, it's not a point of you thinking about it saying, well, maybe not. Let me slack off. No, you just, I mean, it might come to your mind, like, would they do this for me? You know, because you don't know. But the thing of it is, you hope and pray that the person that you lay down with every night thinks enough of you as a human being that they wouldn't leave you in distress. Mm. Thank you. You know, that, that, and I was strong. Yeah, my man Tony, he never wants to even think about this kind of stuff. But this is real talk, fellas. I mean, it's, I mean, it's real, you know. And I'm going to tell you, the worst thing about it is, the worst thing about it is after it's all said and done, being a young man and being that I went through my morning pre, pre-death, I mean, baby before death, so I'm in a different state than everyone else. So they're looking at you like, okay, when they're going to break, when they're going to fall. But they weren't here when you was on your knees crying and praying every night, asking God to just make it better, you know, just keep them here to, for the child, keep them here, you know, to keep things going. They weren't, they weren't there for that, so they don't understand. So if you get... Say three months, six months out, and you happen to meet somebody, run into a friend, so much you have casual conversation. So you know, this person gives you comfort. You talk and you see them often. So people start thinking, well, what is they doing? What? Why? Why are they talking this such and such? And and what's going on? So the question is, I have is. How soon is too soon? Mm. You know, because the elder, the elder folks, you know, they say, oh, you need to wait 10, 12, 5, 6, whatever years. I'm like, but, okay, yeah, you're 70-some years old. Right, right. So, so you're, you're, I mean, 
You can go down to the bingo hall and get some companionship. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> True that. You know, but as a young man, you might want somebody to go out to dance with, to go to dinner with. Yeah. And you get lonely. What's that? Do you get lonely? Right, you get lonely, and, and you know what I mean? doesn't mean that you love that person any less. doesn't mean that you're disrespecting them or anything. I, you know, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to figure out what length of time. Who put a stamp on it and said, okay, this is the amount of time you're supposed to wait? Because <laughs> a vow says, the vow says, to death do your part. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is no left of time. Nope. It's when you're ready and feel comfortable and, 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 and you know, and, and I think you're probably okay that you probably have to just kind of explain to your daughter is, hey, you know, this is what, I don't even think you have to co-sign it with her, but it may but be, you, you know. Right, but you try you try to, to, to bring it over in a way that you try to make them feel comfortable. At least you try to get them to come halfway. They may not come all the way, but you know. Yeah. But then, but 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 you know when but when you get into the, the parent thing and, and the in laws, you know my situation is, is is crazy because you know just like just like um, last week you guys was talking about the mother and the wife relationship, and the mother did not want that wife because of the ex-wife. And she made it very hard for the new wife, and then she tried to make amends later, but the new wife wasn't having it because she didn't feel like it was sincere. It wasn't necessary for her to be that way. Well, mm-hmm. the same thing goes on with a situation in death of the wife, and but unfortunately, on this end, it's not the mother-in-law; it's my mother who doesn't want to release, like you, like like this guy, like with his mother didn't want to release the, the ex-wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's making it and making it difficult for even to have a friend, and just you know, just throwing all kinds of salt in the wound, just to make it more difficult because she's not finished mourning. I had to ask him was. What day? Was I the son or the son-in-law? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. a lot of things come out of these situations that, unfortunately, we waste a lot of time and energy, negative energy, on. It, it, it's not necessary. It's really not necessary. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I will say that um, if that did happen to me, I would like to have handled it the way that you handled it. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have been able to mirror everything that you've done. Um, and not being there, again, we don't know how we would handle it, but I would like to be you if that would happen to me, just saying that. And... um and it's and it's to be admired because like just like you said, some guys are Audi five thousand. When that happens, they can't handle. It. They know what to do. They leave the responsibility on somebody else. And also, when it comes time for you to move on, because you're going to eventually have to move on. Um, 
you've done everything that you could possibly do to be a husband to your wife, to be the head of household for your daughter. And it's evident. People have talked about it. They've complimented you. They know that you have done. So you don't owe anybody an explanation for any moves that you have moving forward, I believe. I believe that right now you need to, you, and again, I'm not trying to tell you what to do or anything like that, but I'm just saying you earned the right to, to, to be, to find some kind of happiness at this point. Right. Right. And, and, and just to add that, you know, I have some of the best friends in the world. I mean, the guys I went to school with, guys that I met along the way, I mean, it's like 30 plus of us that we meet up every year down at the CIAA. And <laughs> you got some you got some friends on here, brother. They be at the CIAA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They'll meet you down there. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, they have echoed that during the process, like, man, you have shown us the way, you have paved the way and shown us how to do it. Mm. And and what really touched me was one of my boys, Mother's Day Sunday, sent me a happy Mother's Day to you. Wow. You know, I mean, I was I, I was laying in the bed, and I, I heard the text go off, and I, I looked at it, man, and his tears started running down my eyes. I was like, wow, that's that's real. That's deep. Because he knew, he knew what I'd been through. He knew what I had to do. So, I mean, it was real. That's strong, brother. You 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 don't know how many brothers you help, and I, I thank you for sharing. Um, you don't know how many brothers you help. You got that right. I, I tell you what, my mother, my my wife was listening, and I I all I could say was, you know, I hope I could be the man that he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you're right about that. Hey, Amen. Well, with God, with God in your corner, you can be the man that you need to be all the time. No question Amen, about brother. Absolutely, amen. I think Definitely put awesome. things in perspective. For sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we great about think, things. Go ahead, Tony. Well, I mean, you know, I think that that is one of the key components to, to being fit, like you said earlier, to being fit for it. Because if you're not fit, you can't handle it. And if God is not in your corner, you're going to need a strong workout partner to get physically prepared for that. Yeah, thank you again, brother. Um, and I got a little confession to make. Um, this is actually my cousin. Um, my mother and his father are brother and sister. And I was at his wife's funeral, September 26, 2011. And I just thank you for sharing, man, because we haven't talked about it. Um, I know I was at the funeral and really didn't have the words to say. But I'm glad you broke it down for us um, that you had you had done your morning, and like I said, I mean you don't you don't even realize what you've done, you know, as far as when somebody says that they would like to be you and they don't even know you, you know, they say I want to be you. I mean that's, I mean that just shows what kind of man, what kind of head of household you are, and raising your daughters, you know, your single dad. But like the brother said, man, you can't. Let other people run your life and have any say about when you do take that next step. And, again, we're not telling you what to do, you know, but you can't really 
go to the elders or to mom or dad and check with them. Say, well, you know, is May the twenty third? Is that okay for me to, you know, right. start? You know what I mean? And, right. You know, it, it's a delicate situation. I think it's more delicate with your daughter. You know, as she's in the teenage years and 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 they go through things. You know, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, and truly, and truly, honestly, she is really the only one that matters. Mm. She's really the only one that matters. And, you know, I will try my best to please her or to do the best I can to give her what she wants. I can't say that I'm going to give her everything she wants, but I will do my best because she is, she is, she's my everything. Yeah. That's real talk. Thank you again, brother. And as we close, finally, fellas, um, and please, please, please don't anybody take this the wrong way. But I want to briefly talk about how household stress has interrupted my marriage. One Sunday back in March of 2009, while stacking cheers after church, I was approached by P-Town and Tony about this conference call that Tony had started doing on Tuesday nights at 930 as a result of his divorce, um, God put it on Tony's heart that he should do something to try to help men stay married. And not just married, but happily married. At that time, Tony had about 8 to 10 calls on his belt, and he was actually hosting the call every week. In addition to being a full-time employee, full-time husband, and a full-time father. Back then, it was called the Head of Household Conference Call. To make sure that we didn't miss a week, Tony actually hosted a show while on vacation on his cell phone while sitting in the car. Am I getting the story right, Tony? You are. Were you in Miami or something? Hotel Miami. Yeah. Yep. So that just shows the dedication. But in, in 2009, I really didn't know Tony that well. But he and P-Town were friends, and I knew P-Town because we were teaching the high school Sunday class, Sunday school class together at our church. And I, I thought a conference call for men was a great concept, you know, especially for me since I got a wife and two young daughters at home. Uh, translation, I don't get out much and much <laughs> less have any dialogue with any serious guys, you know. So I'm just it's like a tennis match when I get home. Daddy, daddy this, daddy is, you know, and then the wife is saying this, you know, so it's three women talking at the same time, so I'm just like, you know, trying to find my way where I fit in. Um, but, again, I, I didn't have the chance to, to dialogue with, 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 with other men that are trying to do the right things by their families, as the, as the brother just explained. So I tried it out that next Tuesday, fell in love with it, and haven't missed a week since. On September 29, 2009, Tony let me host my first show, and it was entitled, Why Did I Get Married? If you all remember, around that time, uh, Tyler Perry had the movie out, uh, Why Did I Get Married? And that's where that was birthed out of. Um, That was my first show, September 2009. Tonight is actually my 48th show that I've hosted. And for the entire Household Stress brand, tonight is episode number 166 for us guys. And that's excluding the seven co-ed shows that we did back in 2010 and part of 2011. In addition, we also have 61 shows in the archives of our women's show called The Better Half. 
So, fellas, with those, adding those numbers up, you're good at math. We're fast approaching 250 shows under this household stress umbrella. So if you were to add up all the minutes, all the hours that I've been on these calls, it would be the equivalent of a 20 consecutive days. So imagine being on the phone with you guys for 20 straight days of continuous conversation. That's 24-7, no bathroom breaks, no lunch breaks, no dinner breaks, no sleep, no sex, etc. 20 straight days. And that's not including, that's not including the countless hours, the countless hours it takes for me to prepare these shows for y'all. In addition, in addition to being responsible for the Mad Men Don't Talk Unisex blog, I'm responsible for the Household Stress Twitter page. I keep the Household Stress website up to date. I send out the weekly emails. I send out the weekly text messages, etc., etc., all the while maintaining a full-time job and trying to be the best husband and father in my own right. But even though sometimes household stress gets in the way, I do it cheerfully. I've always said that people only knew only knew all the moving parts that go on behind the scenes to make this thing happen for two-plus hours every damn week. They might appreciate it more. But I digress. Last question, fellas. Last question. Are interruptions just opportunities? Are interruptions just opportunities? Opportunities, yes. And what I mean by that, thank you, T-Hawk, is that is life just a bunch of interruptions, a number of unavoidable things? Should we just learn learn to adjust as necessary? You know, I you know the way I see it, uh, Rodney is, you know, life is really about learning to enjoy the journey. Mm. And, you know, so many times people are focused on the destination and they run so hard to hit that point of quote-unquote success or whatever that they don't enjoy the smell of the roses. They don't learn how to dance in the rain. And the bottom line is life is about that. It's about what you become on the way to that destination. And that's what the quote-unquote interruptions are. That's what they make you. They make you the man that God has designed you to be because the interruptions generally he uses to draw us closer to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. And, I mean, y'all think this thing we call marriage, is, one thing's for certain is that constant change is here to stay. Yeah. And if you learn to enjoy dancing in the rain instead of avoiding the rainstorm, mm. if you learn to, to, to see, okay, what do you have in this for me, Lord? What What is this? Instead of, you know, fighting the interruption. Fight, you know, we, we <laughs> God orders our steps. We may have goals, but God orders our steps. Mm. And we've got to be able to step back and enjoy the journey. Because it is all too fast. Yeah. It is, I mean, y'all, y'all some of y'all, you know, got your little kids. And I'm telling you, my wife and I, 
are at the point, I mean, we are days away from our little one leaving and maybe for good. I mean, I know when I left my parents' house at 17 years and, 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 and 10 months, I didn't realize at the time it would be the last time I lived in their home. And we're about, the last one's about, the, the eagle's about to fly. And, you know, it happens so fast. You know, we got a grandbaby about to go into second grade and another one just born. And, and I'm telling you, learn to enjoy the journey. And even the tears, you know, uh, just hearing hearing your cousin's story, Rodney, I mean, it literally brought me to tears. And just praying for him and thanking God for what he's done in that man's heart and hoping that I could be, you know, the man that he would be. Half the man. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. seeing what God's done in him and realizing that he may not know this, you know, but... You know, God uses the testimony to reach other people, to touch mm-hmm. the lives of people, because a lot of times we get stuck in the woe is me. Look at my situation. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, but there, by the grace of God, go I. Who knows? Who knows tomorrow? You know, tomorrow's not promised. You know, we may turn that corner and, and that minivan may hit us head on. And, and you know what? We have no memory of anything. Tomorrow, and we don't, and he doesn't. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him. No, we don't. He doesn't owe us anything. And, and just to add to that, um, I have been in, I have been in several, several car accidents. Um, the first one I was in high school, I got hit head on by a lumber truck, a six wheeled lumber truck. I was driving a Chevette. Ooh. And had had my one of my cousins that normally travels with me. If he had, had he been with me, he would have lost his head because the way the top came in, it hit the other headrest midway, throat level. I survived that. I had other accidents along the way. Uh, the last real hard accident was my friends and all of us were together coming out of Richmond on Canal Plaza from one of the jazz concerts, and we T-boned a car that ran a red light. And we were driving an expedition. This was a, tour, a, a, a contour, a Taurus late model that we hit. And this expedition went up on one wheel, and we spun like a top. My wife was in the back seat with no seat belt on, and her arm got, shoulder got shredded from the glass whatnot. I was picking glass out of her arm for days, even after we left the hospital. I've been in, I've been in a head-on collision again here in my area with another Jeep that I had, and um, a young girl from my and um, you know I came out of that. Mind you, I can I interject these, some? You might want to take the train, bro. Listen to me, but listen to me. Out of all of these accidents that I have been in, none of them, I repeat, none of them, I had a seatbelt on. Mm. Wow. And what I'm saying is, based on what you just said to everybody, don't be afraid. 
because I'm not afraid to ask the question. And I ask it off. I say, Lord, why am I here? What is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I look back over my life and I see the things that I've done, the people I've touched, and even friends, because I met this one girl I went through with her. Both her parents had cancer over the years. And, you know, I, I went through all these different things, and I just look back and I say, why am I here? And I look back and I say, well, okay, I guess that's why I was here. Mm. You know, don't be afraid to ask that question. And and most times he may reveal it to you. You know, why am I here, Lord? Because, I mean, everything I've been through, I shouldn't be here right now. Right. Mhm. You talk about accidents. Y'all know. Uh, last June, you know, I, I coming back from. You talk about a concert. I was coming back from a Sade concert and um, flipped my truck several times on the interstate and had a truck six months. Um, but both my wife, you know, walked away from it. I got a little cut after the truck stopped rolling. I ended up, you know, landing on the doors. Um, and I, I got a cut after, you know, when I put my hand on the driver's side because the, the, the window had been shattered out. But that was the only thing, you know, that me or my wife, you know, from that accident. And, you know, I look at, you know, today, May twenty second, 2012, you know, I, you know, couldn't, it could have went another way. But, again, as you said, brother, I mean, God had a purpose for my life. I'm bringing a new life into the world, my wife and I, in a few weeks. But I know that child has purpose. I know it, it wasn't, you know, that wasn't my time to go. Same thing like it wasn't your time to go in any of those incidents. And that's just how God works is that we have to continue to, you know, it's like, man, okay, you spared me for a reason. Yeah. So I got to, you know, I got to walk in my purpose, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I will tell you something. Um, and, again, it's hard to tell what someone's purpose may be, and it's hard to tell what our own purpose may be. Um but if if God had a purpose in which I honestly believe that he did for you to be involved in what you're involved right now, you definitely served your purpose tonight, my brother. Yes, sir. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for that. Yeah. And let let me serve my purpose and uh it's eleven thirty. Shut this thing down, flip it over and get a little bit more in open mic, but it's time for the conclusion, fellas, your favorite part. I do have my dictionary with me tonight, and an interruption means to break the continuity or uniformity of, to hinder, to stop, or break in on the action or discourse of. Now, most of us would rather let sleeping interruptions lie. We don't need them, and we don't want them. They don't represent opportunities. They represent obstacles to our ultimate goals. But life is filled with interruptions, some insignificant, others life-changing. Living the Christian life doesn't exempt us from interruptions. We have to look at interruptions and try to understand their source and their purpose and how they affect our obedience to God. 
One source of our interruptions is God. When God interrupts our routine, the primary purpose usually involves his call on our life and or his correction. A second source of interruptions can be people. That's you and that's me. When we interrupt what God is doing in our lives, it's always birthed in selfishness and has a very limited perspective. Finally, Satan seeks to interrupt our lives. The Bible depicts him as a deceiver and one who devours. When Satan interrupts, he always uses deception and always seeks to destroy. Satan's interruptions consistently dismiss the promises of God. But we ought to yearn for and invite God's interruption since he made us and knows what's best for us for his plan. So when God interrupts, obedience should be the number one priority. On the other hand, self and Satan can lead us to disobey. So we should be suspicious and cautious of our own assumptions. Since we're inherently selfish, our earthly perspectives are wrong. We must surrender our own will, our passions, our goals, our understandings, essentially our entire lives. We should flee and fight Satan's interruptions. We can do this by knowing the truth, and that comes from communing with God. Jesus defended himself against Satan's temptations because he knew the truth and quoted it. We should draw closer to him and pray for God's strength to help us to follow him each day. I'm learning that God has many surprises for us throughout our lifetimes. Some we've anticipated, and others were unexpected blessings. But whether we realize it or not, God is at work in every moment of every day. Interruptions can be hard, but interruptions can also be good. So the sooner we learn to enjoy interruptions for what they are, personally designed encounters from God to make his ways known, the more we'll learn to enjoy this creative God of interruptions. And we can't expect life to always go the way we think it should. If we do, we'll be very disappointed or worse, angry and bitter. Instead, we must embrace life as God wills it. He'll be faithful now as he has been faithful in the past. That concludes our show for the evening, fellas. Thank you for tuning in again to another episode of the Virtual Talk Show produced by Married Men Don't Talk. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You can join us again next Tuesday, same time, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and next week's topic will be... The Marriage Bubble. Living in a Bubble. For more information, please feel free to visit our website. That's www.householdstress.com. And also download our free Household Stress app from the Google Play Store for your Droid smartphone. You are now free to move about the country.